Section 8 of War Flying by a Pilot This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. War Flying by a Pilot by Lascelle Finer Hutchin Book 2 On Active Service, Chapter 1, Part 2 Map Study On Thursday I went up with an officer observer on a patrol to look for Huns and gun flashes, etc. We could not see anything above 3,000 feet, so we came down to 2,500 feet and flew up and down the lines, well on this side, though, for a couple of hours. I thus got a splendid view of the trenches on both sides for miles, and it was awfully interesting to see the fields in some places behind our lines, originally green pasture land, now almost blotted out with shell-holes and mine-craters. There has been a craze here for gardening recently, and people are sowing seeds sent over from England and building rockeries and what not. A counter-craze of dugout digging was started by our C.O., so as to provide a place of retreat if over-enthusiastic Huns come over some day to bomb us. The dugout was almost finished when the rain came and converted it into a swimming bath. The dugout mania has now ceased. Thanks for your advice about studying maps. If I carried it out as you suggest, in all my spare time, this is something like what my diary would have been for the past week. 3.30 a.m. Wakened for early patrol work. Weather is dud, so study maps until... 8.30 a.m. Breakfast. Raining, so return to room to study maps. 12.30 p.m. Snatch ten minutes for lunch and get back to maps. 4.30 p.m. Have some tea, having violent argument meanwhile on contoured and uncontoured maps. More study. 8 p.m. Break off map study for dinner, then go to bed and study maps till lights out. Here ends another derned dull day. Still, I quite understand what prompted your advice. If one does get lost, however, one has only to fly west for a few minutes till one crosses the lines and then inquire, as we never go far over the lines unless escorted. I have been up two mornings running at 3.30 for work, but the weather has been dud. We do not always get early work, of course. We take it in turns. I was up over the lines yesterday, about 4,000 feet, and they put up a few arches at me. They were rather close, so I zigzagged to a cooler spot. A Forced Landing This morning we were up at half-past two o'clock. We got up 8,000 feet and awaited the signal to proceed from our leading machine, but the clouds below us completely blotted out the ground, so we were signaled to descend. When I had dived through the clouds at 5,000 feet, I discovered to my surprise what appeared to be another layer of clouds down below, and no sign of the ground at all. I came lower and lower, with my eyes glued on the altimeter, and still no sign of the ground. Finally, I went through the clouds until I was very low, and then suddenly I saw a row of trees in front of me, pulled her up, cleared them, and was lost in the fog or clouds again. I decided that that place was not good enough, 
and not knowing where I was, I flew west by my compass for about a quarter of an hour, and came down very low again. This time we had more success, and could occasionally see patches of ground fairly well from about twice the height of a small tree. We cruised around until we spotted a field, and after a good examination of it landed all right, and found on inquiry to our great relief that we were in France. The observer officer and I shook hands when we landed. We returned later in the day when the weather cleared up. I am not the only one who had a forced landing, but we all came out all right, I believe. I was getting some well-earned sleep this afternoon when there came a knock at the door of my hut, and R. H. W. walked in. He is not far from me, and so motorcycled over. He stopped to tea, and I showed him round. We are very hard up for games, so I want you to send me a ping-pong set, wooden or cork bats, and a goodly supply of balls. End of Section 8 Recording by Thomas Rose